Thank you. Well, thank you, Dave. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. What a wonderful sense of the presence of the Lord. How many sensed his presence in the place today? About 10 of you. That's good. And um, I thought it was really good. Uh, we're, um, we're from New Zealand, if you don't know. And uh, in New Zealand, we have 4.5 million people and 45 million sheep. So we're a little bit outnumbered by the woolly friends. But, uh, but uh, right now, it's about 10 o'clock at night in uh, New Zealand. So they will have done their Sunday. They will have gathered. And, uh, but isn't it great that all around the world, it just travels around the world, you know? And some people are going to sleep. Others are getting up and praising God and... Uh, and it's fantastic. So we're looking forward to what God's going to do among us this morning and this evening. And uh, we both, Greta and I, seek the Lord and, and we've, we trust we've got some messages this morning that it's going to really, really encourage you. So Greta's going to go first and uh, then I'll come back. All right. To me, the most wonderful pray- place is the presence of God. There's nothing more wonderful than that, to encounter Jesus in, in his in his precious presence. Now, what I'm going to very briefly share this morning is a, a, a prophetic word that I feel God has for his church globally. But first of all, to just put it in a global context, you know, I think you'll agree with me that we are, are living in days in the world of shaking, of increasing darkness and escalating war out there. But We are also on the cusp of a great move of the Holy Spirit for awakening and revival and unprecedented harvest. That's the good news. And I believe that the most challenging but also the greatest days for God's church on the earth lie ahead of us. And, you know, Revelation 13.10 says this calls in, in... in view of everything that's happening, it calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the, on the part of God's people. And that's what he wants. He wants you and I to run with perseverance as we fix our eyes on Jesus, who endured such incredible opposition, because we will face opposition. It's par for the course. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, then um, we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart because he promises to renew our strength and increase our power by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I just felt that, that the, one of the things at the end of today is the Lord's going to impart to some of you like backbones of steel, that he will enable you to stand firm and strong to the end no matter what, and that he will impart his supernatural power and strength, that you will run, you will keep running to the very end. We are running a race. God always um, equips us and enables us. And, and I, I just really feel for a scripture and day for you as a church is Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3, to go and meditate on. Now, in the midst of all that's happening in the world, Father has amazing promises and purposes for his people. And one of the things he's prophetically saying to his worldwide church is this. We have entered a season of jubilee. And there are jubilee promises God wants us to keep pressing in for. You know, we read about um, Jubilee in, in uh, Leviticus 26 and 25 and 26, um, where, where 
God says to Moses that every 50th year is to be a year of, of jubilee. Um, and, and I'm see, sensing that this, it is the literal Jewish year of jubilee at the moment, but I sense it's in a, a spiritual sense. And he instructs Moses to do this on the last day of the old year. Sound the trumpet throughout your land and proclaim liberty to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. So there was this declaration. So, so Derby City Church, I declare jubilee over you. I proclaim liberty over you. You have entered a season of restoration and freedom in the name of Jesus. You know, what we declare our words, when we, we speak what we sense, heaven is wanting to say. There is power when in the spiritual realm when those words are released, sometimes more than we understand. Now, when we speak about years in prophetic sense, it always means a season. Now, in the literal year of Jubilee, all land and property was returned, and there was um, debts were forgiven. It was returned that the land and property was returned to the original owner. And I feel that for the spiritual jubilee 2016 onwards, this is a time of redemption and restoration and supernatural debt cancellation. And we've already had some testimonies about God supernaturally cancelling debt. What you have lost. God can return and restore, whether it's property, possessions, natural and spiritual inheritances, relationships, that's really precious to Father. God is is in the process of restoring, returning, and bringing us into prosperity, which means we we thrive and flourish in all areas of our life. You know, I, I can testify in my own life that what was lost from me beyond my, my own, it wasn't my fault. God restored to me, not just restore, but he actually restored three times, three times, triple what was lost. In the year of Jubilee, we, we read that all slaves and prisoners were released Jubilee 2016 is a time of freedom from all past shackles and restrictions. It is a time of liberty at an unprecedented level. Remember, Jesus came to set the captives free. He releases the prisoners from darkness. And his blood brought freedom actually for all mankind. He's actually ushered in a permanent jubilee. And I feel that in this jubilee season breakthroughs we've kept on interceding for, we will see liberty manifest suddenly. We are in a season of breakthrough. And I feel God says to some of you here, breakthrough is coming. We will see liberty and freedom into healing and deliverances. We'll see liberty into salvation for the lost and the backslidden. Whole households are going to be saved. And for Derby City Church, I feel this um, word for you from Leviticus 26.9. I will look on you with favor, make you fruitful, and increase your numbers. And I feel that one of the promises of, for Jubilee is triple harvest. And I feel go after triple harvest of souls. Pray them in and be intentional with you and be being missional. 
And then another wonderful thing about the, this year of Jubilee and closing, we have entered a realm of no restrictions, no limits. We've entered a season of miracles at an unprecedented level. Miracles you've kept on interceding for will manifest suddenly because we are in a season of many suddenlies in the earth. And for a couple of you here, doors of destiny will suddenly fly open and you will walk through them. So we have entered a season of jubilee. And Father wants to pour out his abundant blessings on us. But you and I, we need to keep on persevering and keep on pressing in for these jubilee promises. Thank you, sweetheart. You know, in tonight's meeting, we're going to really minister around that theme of freedom. And it's going to be an encounter night. There'll be more time for Holy Spirit ministry than this morning. So, you know, if you can make it tonight, do come, uh, particularly if you really need to see freedom in some areas or areas of your family. And um, we're going to have a great time together tonight. Um, and uh, I'm going to sort of speak to that a little in a moment. Um, just to let you know, we have a resource table down the front here. So if you want to come and look at that at the end, um, that'll be great. Someone will be there to help you. Um, our new book is out, Afterlife. And, um, oh, thank you. Have you read that? <laughs> well, someone's clapping and happy about that. Uh, it's out, Life Beyond Death for the Departed and New Life for the Grieving. So it's really our journey because we lost our spouses seven or eight years ago and it's our journey through grief and how God brought us out the other side, brought us together, gave us some amazing visions of heaven. That's like the first part of the book. Second part of the book is uh, it's all about the afterlife. What is heaven like? What happens when you die? Uh, what, what kind of body will you have in the resurrection? Uh, what's judgment day going to be all about? And uh, What's the new earth that God's going to make, going to look like, and what will we be doing in it? All those questions are in there, and um, so there's some great things. I'd love to give that copy away. Has anyone um, lost a loved one in the life? You have, sir. Well, I'd love to give this to you. God bless you. And uh, may you be encouraged through the book. And uh, all right, I want to talk to you about faith that never gives up. And uh, the stories told about Winston Churchill at the end, or just after World War II, and uh, of course by now he was a famous man, and uh, his old school invited him to uh, speak at a graduation ceremony that they were conducting, and everybody was looking forward to hearing the secrets of this great man. That's him there looking grumpy as usual, but uh, he, he's a pretty cool guy. And uh, so... Time came in the ceremony for him to get up and speak, and everybody was hushed as he made his way slowly to the podium, and he looked out over the audience, took a breath, and they wondered, what is he going to say? And, and he said this, he said, never, 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 never give up. And then he sat down. And they were all a bit stunned. They thought, well, <laughs> is that all there is? But then they realized this was the secret of a great man. And they stood to their feet and they gave him a standing ovation because he had shared the secret that allowed him to lead Britain through World War II to victory. 
particularly in 1940 when a German invasion looked very certain. And he stood up and he was a man that never, never gave up. I think we've got to learn that lesson that anything great in God is only accomplished by people that never give up. Everything Greta said there about Jubilee, it'll only happen if you never give up. I've heard enough prophecies in my lifetime that have never been fulfilled. Why? Because people didn't mix them with faith. They didn't persevere. They expected it all to happen in a few seconds. And so they got discouraged and walked away from it. You've got you to go long term in the Christian life. And, uh, you know, we're in a jubilee season. I really believe that. And some of you are going to see breakthroughs this year, but others it might take a little longer. But, hey, if God is declaring a season of something, then we want to mix that with faith and never give up. They tell me that the first man to fly solo across the United States of America crashed 86 times. But you keep getting, just got up and kept flying. Thomas Edison, the great inventor, he tried over 10,000 experiments before he invented a filament for the light bulb that would not burn out. You know, some reporters said to him one day after two or 3,000 failures, he said, they said, aren't you discouraged? Don't you want to just give this up? He said, no. He said, I've managed to eliminate 3,000 things. I don't have to test again. He was excited about it. And uh, we are thankful to him today, aren't we, for the light bulb. You know, it's easy to start well in the Christian life. It's not so easy to finish well. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for about 40 years now, saved as a young guy. And um, sadly, a lot of my friends that started out with me are nowhere to be found. They've fallen by the wayside at some point and just gave up, got offended with God. Maybe prayers didn't get answered. A healing never came that they had hoped for. Something happened. They got a bit bitter. And they fall by the wayside, got enticed with the world, got, uh, got seduced by the pleasures of the world. And, you know, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy in this life. But, you know, Jesus said, if riches increase, don't set your heart on them. It's not in my message. That's for somebody here today. Right now, you're in a season where riches are increasing. And that's the blessing of God. That's the favor of God. You steward that well and be a generous giver and bless your family and others. But don't set your heart on those things. Because the Bible says, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. That's for somebody here this morning. Bible doesn't say that he or she who starts well shall be saved. It says he or she who endures to the end will be saved. And in Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, it says, Do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. Don't throw away your confidence. It's easy to do that when the devil's on your case saying, Hey, that didn't happen, did it? That prayer never got answered. That thing you hoped for never happened. It's easy to throw away your confidence. Sometimes we throw away our confidence because it takes a long time for things to happen. The Bible says don't do that. You have need of endurance so you may do the will of God. What's the will of God? That you persevere. Jesus said to Peter, Satan's desire to sift you like wheat, Peter, but I am praying for you that your faith would not fail. Isn't that interesting how Jesus prayed? He didn't pray. He didn't say, Peter, Satan's desiring to sift you like wheat. I'm praying you'll get deliverance. I'm praying you won't have to go through that. I'm praying the devil won't come near you. No, he said, I'm praying your faith won't fail. 
We've learned with our kids, we made a mistake praying for our kids sometimes that we we don't want them to suffer any pain. And we pray, oh God, give them a breakthrough. Don't let them have to go through that. And we're suddenly realizing sometimes God has to let them go through so their faith will grow. And now I'm praying a whole lot more for our children. God, don't let their faith fail in the trials of life. Interesting how God sees things. You know, the story, if you think about the Apostle Paul, he was an amazing person, and I'm going to share that story in a moment. But, you know, we can be tempted to give up on our marriage, on our healing, on our destiny, on our families and friends' salvation. And you know what I've discovered? Often prior to a breakthrough, we're tempted to give up the most. So that thing will get aborted. When you throw away your confidence, it often stops what God had intended. Paul was a man that uh, was a persecutor of Christians. Just like we have hundreds of thousands of radicals today that are killing Christians and persecuting believers. And Saul was like that. He, he was thrilled when Christians were being stoned to death. He, he wanted to arrest them and throw them in prison and, uh, and stamp out Christianity because he was a zealot. He was a zealous Jew for his religion. And on uh, a journey to Damascus to arrest Christians, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to him in the form of a bright and shining light to the point where he was knocked off his horse and blinded. And he heard the voice of the Lord said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. You know, when somebody touches one of God's kids, he's touching Jesus. They're touching Jesus. That's a pretty big enemy to start having, don't you think? And you know, God will bring judgment on those that touch his kids. Sometimes the judgment comes in the form of salvation and mercy. Sometimes it comes in the form of being taken out. And only God knows the heart, whether it'll turn or not. And he somehow looked into Saul's heart and thought, now there's a heart that when he knows and when he understands, he'll turn to me. And so God showed him mercy rather than took him out. And uh, so Saul goes into the city of Damascus. A man comes and prays for him. He regains his sight. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water. And he starts preaching the gospel in Damascus. And he's so fiery at the preaching, he stirs the anger of all the Jews who were once his friends. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verses 22 through 25, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Messiah. After a while, the Jewish leaders decided to kill him, but Saul was told about their plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. So during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Couldn't get a photo. That was the best we could do. So you imagine Saul, he's in this huge basket, he's got probably four ropes tied to it or something, and maybe got three or four guys that they they are stealthily making their way out through the city, up to the city walls in the middle of the night, and being as quiet as they possibly can, and they've got Saul, and they lower the basket over the wall. Those walls were mighty high. If you fell off one, you'd die. Um, And he's putting it in this, I mean, that basket doesn't look that strong. He's in the basket and he's relying on these three or four guys to begin to just let him down. And they they start to let the rope out and then they hear a noise. It's the watchman making the rounds. 
stop. He's dangling in midair. What's happening up there? And they stop because if they found out, they could be killed. And the noise passes and they start letting out the rope a little more. And then something, a dog barks or something, and they stop again. And they're you know, terrified of being discovered. And, and they don't really know who they've got in their basket. That's the thing. Saul wasn't the apostle Paul, yet he was just this firebrand convert that had started preaching the gospel. He was too hot for them to handle. They actually wanted to get him out of the city, not only to protect his life, but to get a bit of peace and quiet. They don't really know who's in their basket, but they stop and then the noise passes and they let the rope out some more. They keep letting the rope out. It's pitch dark. They don't know how far they've got to hold on for this thing. They keep letting the rope out and finally it touches the ground. And Saul runs away into Arabia. He's there for three years, has an encounter with Jesus, comes back out of it, and he becomes the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian that ever lived, who introduced Christianity to Asia Minor and Europe, an amazing, amazing man of God. It's very tempting to let go the rope in the middle of the night. And you don't know what's in your basket. Or who's in your basket. It could be a breakthrough financially. Could be a healing miracle. Could be the salvation of a loved one. Could be somebody everyone else has given up on, but you're holding on for them. And you don't know what they can become. And I think the Lord says to us today... Hold on to the basket. Hold on to the rope. Because I want to tell you, if you hold on to the rope, there will be a time your basket will touch the ground, the miracle will come, the breakthrough will happen, the the person you're believing for will get saved. Because God is faithful to his promises. We get tempted to let go that rope in the middle of the night. We've got to remember what Churchill said, never, never, never give up. And there's one area that I think that the Holy Spirit is talking to his church about globally. It's like burning like a fire in my spirit. And it's the salvation of loved ones and friends and people in our lives that we consider important. And I wonder who's in your basket of salvation today. You might have 50 in there. You might just have one. Could be a spouse, a brother, sister, a mother, a father, an aunt, an uncle, a, bro- you know, a relative, a child, a grandchild. I don't know who it is. A cousin, a friend, a workmate, fellow student who's in your basket of salvation. Because you see, unless you carry them in faith, unless you hold on to the basket of salvation for them, then who else will hold on? No matter how hard it looks and how far away from God they look, the Lord has ways and means of bringing people to himself. Uh, My first wife, Jane, passed away 2007, and a few months later, um, Greta's first husband, Ron, passed away. But you know what? We know where they are tonight. We know where they are. 
See, where are they? They're in heaven. How do you know that? I know that because of what the Word of God says. 1 John 5, 11 and 13. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He or she who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that's Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people think that maybe if they're good enough, that maybe when they die, they might get to heaven. I've been to so many funerals of people that never knew God, and the impression was given that they're in heaven and we're all going to join them one day. And that's just not the truth. You see, everybody on the planet is born with sin, a sin nature, and all of us have done wrong things. And if you break one of God's commandments, that will separate you from God forever because he's so holy, he cannot tolerate any sin or unholiness or uncleanness in his presence. So he has to eject it or the person carrying that sin from his presence. And that means because all of us are sinners according to the word of God. And everybody in this room, you know you've done something wrong, said something wrong, thought something wrong. So have I. All of us are in that camp of having been rejected by God at one stage. Why? Because our sin's on us. And you can't be religious to get rid of it. Going to church won't get rid of it. Doing good won't get rid of it. Following ritualistic religious things will not get rid of it. There's only one way your sin can be cleansed, and that's if the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ washes you and forgives you, and that's why Jesus hung on a cross. Why? Why did God send his son to earth to die a horrible death on a cross, the sinless son of God? Why? Because he so loved you. That he didn't want you to perish in your sin. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's not willing that any perish but that all would come to have everlasting life. And so Jesus comes, goes to a cross, is hanging there on a cross and says, and when he dies, it is finished. What's finished? Sin is finished. Sin is dealt with. Hallelujah. Separation from God is finished. The power of death is finished because Jesus broke it. I thought that was good preaching. Thank you very much. Yeah. We need a few more Africans in the church. They get really excited. Don't you Africans become all British on me now. Okay, don't you just sit there quietly. You go, come on, come on, preach it, Prasta, preach it. We love the British. see, the gospel is called the good news. But how can it be good news unless there's bad news first? And I reckon some preachers are so scared of preaching the bad news that there is a hell, there is a judgment day, and it's coming because they want people to feel good. Well, feeling good is not going to get you into heaven. You, gotta, we, you and I have got to know that if you die with that sin on your life, God is forced, reluctantly, I add, to send you to hell. Because hell is a place of eternal separation from God. And the torment of hell is the regret that you never asked Jesus to forgive you. And so now, eternally, you suffer the consequences. And that breaks the heart of God. God is not willing that any suffer that fate. That's why he sent Jesus. 
And whenever anybody turns to the Lord Jesus, ask him to forgive them. The Bible says, as many that receive him who believe in his name, he gives them power to become children of God. That's why that scripture is true. He or she that has the Son of God has received them into their life, has eternal life. They that don't have the Son of God don't have life. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said it himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No other religious leader is alive today except Jesus Christ. No other religious leader died for the sins of many. Only Jesus. Peter the apostle put it like this. There's no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. People call Christians bigoted for believing that. They say there's many ways to heaven. No, there's not. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. That's why you've got to hold on to the people in your basket of salvation. Because right now they're gambling. They are gambling that maybe God will let them into heaven. They're gambling maybe there is no heaven and no hell and nothing afterlife. They're gambling on that. And, and you know, when I wrote that book, Afterlife, the, the bit on hells, it really, it really got me thinking. And it lit a fire in me of compassion and passion for lost people. We have an incredible hope in Jesus. God so loved us that he, by his spirit, drew you to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus yet, the good news is I'm going to give an opportunity at the end of this message for you to get to know him. But can I say, if you know him, why mess around? Why live carelessly? Why live half-heartedly? Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, not lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Anyone ever drunk a lukewarm cup of tea? It's disgusting. I'll either like a cold drink or a hot drink, but lukewarm is disgusting. That's what Jesus is saying. It's, ah. Lukewarm Christians are, ah, because the world looks at us and is put off. Be hot or cold, make a choice. Come all the way to New Zealand to tell you that. Be hot or cold, make a choice. Because God's serious. Life after death's real. And you want to make sure that you're on that pathway to heaven. Don't mess around with God. Don't play around. Don't sleep around with young women. Young women, don't sleep around with young guys. Sexual immorality is a terrible sin. Bind your soul up. When two sleep together, they become one. Don't know why I'm saying this. Not in my notes. When two sleep together, they become one flesh, one soul. And you might have a one-night stand, but you'll carry the soul of that other person for you for the rest of your life unless you ask God to break it off and break that soul tie. It's a devastating sin. Don't sleep around. Don't mess around. Don't muck around. You live right for him. All of us suffer temptation. All of us face the pressures of life. And all of us stumble. I stumble into sin. But I didn't know that the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. And God delights in their way. Though they fall, they'll not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds them with his hand. Of course you and I are going to stumble. We're not yet perfect. But we are forgiven. Hallelujah. There's a difference between being forgiven and being perfect. You are perfectly forgiven even though you may not be perfectly perfect in your behavior. Your position and your condition are different. 
In Acts 16, 14, you know, you might be thinking, man, but you, you don't know, you don't know my relative. You, they're, not just, they're just not interested in God. You don't know the man I have to live with. You don't know the woman I have to live with. You don't know what my kids are into. Well, I may not know, but I know that God can open their hearts. And I love Acts 16, 14. Paul was preaching to a group of women in Philippi, and it says one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to God's message. God can open people's hearts to respond to the message of the gospel that there is a way of salvation. You don't have to die separated from God. You can know him. You can know where you're headed. You can know an eternal life existence with Jesus and you can know him transforming your life from one degree of glory to another. I got a story to read to you. This is a letter um, I received I was a secondary school teacher in New Zealand, but I'd planted a church, and the church grew, and so after a couple of years of teaching, I had to resign in order to look after the church, and so I was just announcing to my classes that I would not be back the following year because I was going to be the pastor of the Elam Church in a little place called Picton up the top of the South Island of New Zealand. And uh, 10 years later, I get this letter from one of my former pupils. Dear Mr. Peters, it starts, you may remember me as a pupil of yours at Marlborough Boys College, writing to tell you I'm now a Christian. My memory recalls me wondering what gives someone so much courage to stand at the head of a class of rowdy schoolboys and say that he's leaving to become a pastor of the Elam Church. The Lord never gave me any peace from that day on until nine weeks ago. When I asked him into my life, I admired you for telling us all, although I didn't really understand. I knew that what you were doing, you felt strongly about, and I did know it was for Jesus Christ. Now I understand totally. I had to tell you of my new life as you were the first of many to tell me about the Lord, even with those few words that day at school. I'm getting married in three and a half weeks, and my fiance asked the Lord into her life the day after I did. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he can do with your loved ones who are in your basket. That's what he can do. Don't look by the eyes of sight, but begin to look by the eyes of faith. All things are possible for God. We need to position ourselves in faith this coming year and show unconditional love to the lost people around our lives and and, um, not judge them and pray much for them. Because a harvest is coming and you just don't know who you've got in your basket. We were with, um, last weekend we were in London at, at Ilford at Citygates Church. Church of about 1500, large Elam church. You might know the story there. Five-story building collapsed four years ago. And they had to rebuild it. They're on the verge of, of, of taking possession in a few weeks. Pastor Stephen Derbyshire just got a new book out. Up from the ruins, it's called. Not just about the building, but it's about his life story. He is a hopeless drug addict. A hopeless drug addict. Just lived every day to shoot his veins. All sorts of crime he got into to support that habit. Years and years he was lost in drugs until God got a hold of him. Began to change his life. Begin to transform him. And now today, 
He's leading a church in London that's making a statement in the middle of a Muslim community in which there are many radical Muslims. And right there is a five-story building that says, we are here ministering the presence of Jesus Christ to a lost community. Hallelujah. I, I guarantee the people that were praying for him and his parents did, didn't know who was in their basket. You don't know. I'll close with this story. Anyone heard of George Muller? He was that, that great philanthropist who opened lots of orphanages in Bristol, ended up looking after 10,000 orphans in Victorian England, and, uh, and he opened schools that educated 100,000 children. Um, great man of God. Um, he was a great preacher as well, very concerned for lost souls. And the story goes, true story, that he one day decided that he had got real burden for five of his friends that didn't know Jesus, so he began to pray unceasingly, fervently. You know, the Bible says the fervent prayers of a righteous people are powerful and effective, you know, and um, that's not true if it's just five minutes of praying, but it is true if it's steadfast. And um, so he began to pray. He prayed fervently for these five friends. After a few months, one of them came to know the Lord Jesus. He kept praying for the four others, and 10 years later, after 10 years of prayer, two more came to know Jesus. Three down, two to go. He kept praying, kept praying, and after 25 years of prayer, number four comes to know the Lord. He says, one left. Muller prayed another 27 years for number five. And then he died. He'd committed 52 years of prayer to pray for number five, and then Muller died. But a few weeks after his funeral, number five came to know Jesus. You say, what is the point of that story? The point is this. Some people you pray for in your basket of salvation will come to know the Lord after a few months. Some might take a number of years, and some might take some decades And others, you may not even see them saved in your lifetime, but if you're fervent in prayer, you'll see them from the cloud of witnesses in heaven, and you'll celebrate in heaven that they've come to know Jesus because God is the God that answers prayer. And if you pray fervently, He will do what you've asked Him to do. When people are prayed for fervently, they are a target for salvation. They've got a big bullseye painted on their chest for an arrow of God's love to hit them right in the heart where once they hated God they now become a lover of God where once they didn't believe in him they now believe in him where once they shut him out of their lives they can't get enough of him that's what the gospel can do that's what witness can do that's what fervent prayer can do Greta prayed for her brother for 36 years to find Jesus and four years ago he and his wife gave their life to the Lord We've got about 40 or 50 of our family, you know, like immediate family, extended family and in-laws that we're praying for. Just heard this week, uh, one of our in-laws, the father-in-law of one of our sons just gave his heart to Jesus in the last few weeks, been praying for him. It happens. Your basket can touch the ground. And I I felt today in in praying for this meeting, and we'll get to this in a moment, but I felt that it's like I woke up and I felt I saw a dark cloud of discouragement over a lot of people here today. 
and, and I saw in this dark cloud of discouragement there was weariness. Just weariness and discouragement. I said, Lord, what do you want to do about that? And the Holy Spirit said to me, tell them Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men and women shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord, that means hope in the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you're feeling downcast, God wants to uplift you. Hallelujah. The word is, the key is wait. The word, that Hebrew word is not just like physically waiting. It means to hope in him. You know when you go to the airport and you're waiting for a relative to come and you haven't seen them in years, it's that kind of wait. It's like, wow, excited wait. I'm expectant. I'm hopeful. My friend's coming. My loved one's coming. And I don't care if the plane's delayed. I'm just going to keep waiting because I'm hoping. I'm expectant. That's what that word means. And those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And some of you need fresh hope for your loved ones who are not yet saved. Some of you need fresh hope for the breakthrough that you so desperately need in your life. That depression that cripples you every morning when you wake up. And it's like a thick cloud around you. This is a day for freedom. Get free of it today. I know that's a simplistic statement, but I believe that some, some depression is chemical and you need maybe need medication, but some of it's demonic and you need to resist the enemy. So I'm not coming under that cloud anymore. Don't know why I just said that, but that's for somebody. But before we get to that point, I want to ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus this morning? Have you ever asked him into your life and asked him to forgive you? Because I think I gave you a pretty clear explanation of what the gospel is all about. It would be great if we could pray for you, that the Lord Jesus would come into your life and forgive you from your sins. Maybe you once did that, but you walked right away from God and and you need to come back to God. Now, please hear me. We're going to pray a simple prayer in a moment that would allow you to give your life to Jesus or come back to him. I don't want you to pray this prayer if you're a Christian and you've sinned and you've done something wrong that you shouldn't have done. I don't think you haven't lost your salvation. You just need to go to the Lord yourself and ask him to forgive you. And guess what? The Bible says that um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I am talking to you if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Or you did it, but you're not walking with God anymore. And today in this early part of 2016, God's calling you back to himself. We're gonna pray a simple prayer right now that would allow you to give your life to Christ or come back to him. And could we just um, bow our heads and close our eyes so that we can concentrate. And if you need to give your life to Jesus or come back to him this morning, Would you pray this prayer after me? Um, I'll pray it out loud. You pray it silently. You know, God knows your every thought, so he'll hear your silent prayer. As long as you mean that, you really mean that, he'll answer it, and some miracle will begin to happen in your heart today. So let's, let's pray together. You need to give your life to Jesus or come back to him. Would you follow me in this prayer right now? You pray it silently. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. From all my sins. I'm sorry, Lord, for every wrong thing I've ever done, every thought, every word, every action. I turn from my sins and I turn to you. Forgive me for leaving you out of my life. I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. 
You rose again from the dead and you're alive. And Lord Jesus, I now open the door of my heart and ask you to come and live in me by your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you please give me power to live for you for the rest of my life. 